But I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, normally, we would welcome all of our other campuses. We've got two other campuses, but uh, they are actually doing their own uh, version of celebrating the Lord's Supper today. So it's kind of just us, just here in our house. And so I want to welcome you here. If you're a guest of ours, we're really glad to have you. And I hope that this will be a, a good day for you to be here. Um, I, 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 more and more as I work on messages, and I wish I'd done this earlier in my ministry, but I didn't give a, a lot of thought to really who I was speaking to. And don't take that the wrong way. I don't mean that I didn't think about you. But I didn't really... Think about what I call the lowest common denominator. Here's what I mean by that. I never thought about what Rick Warren refers to as unchurched Harry. I, I, I never thought about the person that walks into a church maybe for the first time in their life, someone who comes from a totally different faith tradition, someone who maybe doesn't know that there's even a book called Genesis in the Bible, much less what's in the Bible, and so more and more uh, through the years, I've, I've tried to keep that person in mind. And, uh, and, and for good reason, because uh, anybody that's lived long enough knows our culture has so radically changed, it's so different. And as I'm going to be talking about when we hit the month of January, I'm already working on that series. I'm really excited about what God's going to do. But we're, we're in a more of a biblically illiterate culture than we've ever been since I've been alive. And so... I got to thinking about, I put myself in the position, what if I walked into our church today and I was either uh, totally unchurched, had never been in church in my life, or uh, I came from a totally different faith tradition. I came from Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam or whatever. And uh, I walked into the church today and I experienced what we're about to experience. I'd wonder, what in the world are they doing? Well, what, what is this? Lord's Supper all about? What is this what, what's, what is this thing that I got when I walked in here? This little receptacle. It looks like it's got a you know, little piece of bread under it, and then it's got some juice or something. And, and, I, and I'm, being, I'm not making light. I'd, I'd have to go, what in the world is this all about? And so, frankly, for those of us who've kind of been through this before, um, <clears throat> I want to kind of give you something to maybe recharge you right now. I was coming into church today, and I got a call from a, one of my best buddies. He is past, he's a, actually a staff member in a very large church in North Carolina. And uh, he called me on the way into church today. And so he's actually, uh, he's not a pastor, but he's on staff. But uh, his pastor's not preaching today, so he's pe preaching at one of their campuses. And so he said, so Doc, uh, what, what are you preaching about today? I said, well, I said, I'm actually not preaching like I would normally preach. I said, I'm going to be talking about the Lord's Supper but, but we do, uh, uh, you know, when we do the Lord's Supper, we build the whole service around the supper. And man, he said something that, that convicted my heart and got my attention, and I hope it will convict yours and get your attention. If you're one of those people, you're a believer, maybe you've been doing what we're about to do since you were a kid like I have, and it kind of gets kind of routine. Here's what he said. He said, well, Doc, this is my prayer for your church today. Don't let it become a routine service. And I thought that is so apropos because I don't want what we're about to do to ever become routine because I can assure you to Jesus and his disciples, 
From the time they first took it to the time they died, it was never, ever routine. And what we're going to read about today tells us it should never, ever be routine in our life. If you brought a copy of God's Word and you want to look along, I want to show you a passage of Scripture that a man named Paul, a Jew, wrote thousands of years ago in which he not only kind of explains what we're about to do, but he actually got the explanation from Jesus himself. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't know where that is, it's in the New Testament. It's, uh, you go to the four Gospels and go about another three books over, and you'll be in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to begin in verse 23. We're going to put these verses up on the screen. And if you will, just kind of read them with me as if you've never, ever seen them before, okay? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the reason why this is probably one of my favorite passages uh, about the Lord's Supper, even though you have them in the Gospels, is because this was directly told to Paul, according to his testimony, by Jesus. That kind of always fascinated me because of all the things that Jesus talked to Paul about. One of the things he wanted to make sure Paul got right and Paul understood was the Lord's Supper. What it means, why should we do it, what should we be trying to do when we observe it. And so we're going to be looking at this passage and I just kind of want you to, if you want to take some notes, I'm not going to throw them up on the screen today or anything like that. But there are five things I just want to kind of call your attention to real, real briefly today. There are five things I want to call your attention to, and, 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 and both for those of you who are believers, to kind of remind you of why we're doing what we're doing and don't ever make it routine. And then for those of you who go, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know what this is all about. Let me just kind of share with you what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish when we take what we call the Lord's Supper. The first thing we're trying to do is remember Jesus' death. That's the first reason why we're going to take this supper. We're going to remember his death. He said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. Now, I'll tell you something I've learned as, as I've gotten older and gotten a little more mature, both just as an ordinary man and also as a believer. What God wants us to remember, the world wants us to forget. Don't ever forget that. What God wants us to remember, the world wants us to forget. Jesus said, whatever you do, don't you ever forget my death. You do this, remember me. As a matter of fact, the reason I want you to do this, okay, it didn't tell us how often to do it. Some churches do it every week. Some churches do it like us four or five times a year. doesn't really matter how often you do it. He said, but as often as you do it, meaning, okay, I know you're going to do it, you know, more than once, so you are going to do it occasionally, but as often as you do it, I want you not to remember just me. I want you to remember my death. Now, you know, it's kind of interesting. Generally, when you focus on somebody that lived long ago and, and they lived a famous life, you normally don't focus on their death unless their death was unusual or it was violent or it was accidental or it was tragic. For example, you know, we think of uh, Abraham Lincoln. We tend to think about his assassination or, or JFK. We think about his assassination. But by and large, that's the exception. 
When you think about George Washington, you don't think about how he died. When you think about a Franklin Roosevelt, you don't think about you know, how he died. When you think about the great inventor, Thomas Edison, we don't know how he died. You know, what do we think? We just thank God that Thomas says live so we can see not, not, we're not in the dark, right? So we think about what people did in their life. Jesus, though, said, hey, I, I want you to remember my life and I want you to remember my teachings, but whatever else you do, I want you to remember my death. Don't ever forget that I died for you. See, that's the thing I think that we tend to forget, we take for granted when we walk into this building and we take this supper. Jesus died for me. Say that out loud. Jesus died for me. Get that down. I know you've heard it a lot of times, but sometimes we let it get old. We let it get too familiar. Don't let that happen. Jesus died for me. While we live, we're to remember that he died for us. The, maybe the greatest preacher ever lived outside of the Apostle Paul by common consensus was the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon had gout. He died when he was 54 years of age. He wasn't in good health the last several years that he lived. He actually died in France, in a, in a place he had in France. As Charles Spurgeon was lying on his deathbed, I've always, always been fascinated by people's last words. Charles Spurgeon's last words were four words. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. So number one, if you're not a believer, you don't understand what we're doing. The reason why we're about to do what we do is we're looking back. We're, we, we just want to remember, we want to focus in on the fact Jesus died for us. So number one, we remember his death. Number two, we rejoice in his love. We rejoice in his love. Now, you may not know this, but what we call the Lord's Supper back in the early church, they called it a love feast. They actually would bring an entire meal. It wasn't just, it really was a supper. It was for them a meal. And it was what they would call a love feast. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we need to not only remember his death, we need to also rejoice in his love. The, the, the fact that we're taking the supper today, the fact that we're about to eat the bread and drink the juice, it's just a reminder. It's a reminder that God does love us that our sins are forgiven, that we have been adopted into God's family, that every morning when we wake up, we've got a God to guide us and a God to guard us and a God who gives us everything that we need. The Lord's Supper reminds us that death doesn't have the last word. We're not here to, to, to feel sorry for someone that died. We're here to actually rejoice in someone who is alive. And, and this supper reminds us that we have a home in heaven, that one day the one about whom this supper is, is about is the one we're going to spend all eternity with. So number one, it's a chance for us to, to remember his death. Number two, it's a chance for us to rejoice in his love. And then number three, it's a chance for us to renew our fellowship. To renew our fellowship. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Later on, you'll read down in, the, um, in this text that, that, that we, we're to take this supper together. Now, I don't know how many of you can relate to this. If, you, if you're from the deep south, you probably can because people don't do this much anymore. But back in the day, back when I was a kid, family reunions were very, very 
popular. Now, some people still have family reunions. I was talking to one of our members the other day who was going over to South Carolina. Their, their, their whole family, they were having like 60 people get together. They do a family reunion every Thanksgiving week. They go out to a big thousand-acre farm, and, and everybody brings, you know, brings food, and, and, and they spend three or four days together. You don't hear about that much anymore. In effect, this is kind of what we're doing today. This is a family reunion because, you know, one thing you always do at a family reunion, you eat. Right? That's one reason why I always look forward to our family reunion, best food in the world, you know, when you, when you get to come together. Well, this is exactly what a family reunion is for. We come back. We renew our fellowship. First of all, we renew our fellowship with the Lord, and then we renew our fellowship with each other. That's exactly what we're doing right now. This is a time when you can let the old go, and you can retake in the new. So, for example, when you, when you have a family reunion, the one thing I can always remember about our family reunion is this. When we went to a family reunion, nobody stayed away because they were mad at somebody. Nobody stayed away because there was bitterness in the family. Nobody stayed away because somebody was holding a grudge against somebody else. Whenever we had a family reunion, whether it was on my dad's side or my mom's side, everybody came. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, not everybody in the family is equally liked, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. If you've got a big family, there are probably some in the family you like more than others or you care more than others, but you love everybody in your family. This is a chance for us when we come together. It reminds us that we're all part of one family. It reminds us that God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a bond. We have a connection. We have a tie that really is is thicker than blood and water. It goes far, far beyond that. So it's a time for us to renew our fellowship. Now here's the next thing. This is also a time for us to realize that Jesus is coming. Because you remember what he says there at the last. He says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, what we're doing today, for those of you who may be there, for, may be seeing this for the first time, this supper not only tells us about his first coming, he was born of a virgin, we're going to talk about this at Christmas, born of a virgin, lives a perfect life, dies on a cross, sheds his blood, comes back from the grave that we might know him and we might be saved, that we might have a relationship with God. It's not only a picture of his first coming, it is also a picture of the second coming. Because you may or may not realize this, and I'll, I'll take you back to when he had the Lord's Supper with his disciples. You, 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 if you don't know about this, let me tell you. So they're, they're, they're taking the Passover, which is now going to be from, the, from now on the Lord's Supper, going to give them a brand new meeting. They're taking the Lord's Supper. They do the Supper. And then the Lord Jesus says this. Before they take the Supper, he said, I want you guys to know, I'm not going to do this again until we do it again together in the kingdom. I'm going to do this again. You will, I won't. The next time you see me, the next time we do this together, it won't be here, it will be there. It will be in my kingdom. So this, 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 this supper that we're doing, it's not only a picture of the first coming of Jesus, it is also a promise of the second coming of Jesus. Now, I've said all of that to set up the last thing I want to say. Because I've been really kind of talking primarily to those of us who are believers, those of us who are part of the family, those of us who, you know, have a seat at the table, those of us for whom we've done this many, many, many times. Now I'm not talking to you. Now I want to talk to those of us who were not believers or we've never done this before 
or maybe you've never even seen this done before. You don't even realize or understand what we're doing today. And this is what I want to say to you. The Lord's Supper is not only our opportunity to remember his death and rejoice in his love and renew our fellowship and to realize he's coming. It is a chance, now listen, it is a chance to reserve our place. It's a chance for us to reserve our place. You see, the Lord's Supper is not just for anybody. Number one, you have to have an invitation, all right? Now, here's the good news. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Everybody's received an invitation. However, it's not enough just to receive an invitation. You've got to make a reservation. If you don't make a reservation, you don't get a place at the table. That's why I want to say to all of us in this room, there's only one person that we would ask not to take the supper with us. We're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable. We're not trying to single anybody out. But if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, if he is not your Lord and not your Savior, you may be a good person. You may be a religious person. You may be a devout person. You may be a sincere person. You may be a tax-paying citizen. You may have nothing against Christianity whatsoever, and we're grateful for all of those things. However, you don't have a seat at the table. Now, there's, there, there's a seat with your name on it. You've just not accepted it yet. And so this is a chance, however, for you, and in a little while, we're going to give you a chance to do that. Let me tell you why. This is not our table. This is not Crosspoint's table. This is not a Southern Baptist table. It's not a religious table. It is the Lord's table. It's his supper. It's not ours. It's his supper. He decides who gets to sit at the table and who doesn't. Now, the good news is he lets you actually make the final decision. And the way you make the decision to get in on that is to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. I've told you this story many times before. But, but one of the things that I hope and pray that, what, what, that, what, that, that what, one of the things I pray will happen today is what happened to me. When I was a little boy, we would take the Lord's Supper. Usually on Sunday night. We used to take the Lord's Supper on Sunday night about five or six times a year. I never got to take it until I was nine years old because I was not a believer. And, and I remember I was always sat in church with my dad and my mom. And I can still remember, I was like it happened yesterday. I remember as a six, seven, eight-year-old boy, it always just broke my heart and grieved me and made me so sad when everybody else got to eat the bread and drink the juice and I didn't get anything. And I wasn't allowed to. And, and I, a couple of times I tried to sneak it. And of course, dad always caught me and I just couldn't get away with it. And it, and it used to bother me. And, and, and what it did, though, it, it gave me a thirst, and it gave me a hunger. Not, not that that would quench your thirst or the bread would, would satisfy your hunger, but it gave me a quench, a thirst, and a hunger to say, but what's wrong with me? Why, why, why can't I? everybody else is getting to do it, or most everybody is. Why am I not getting to do it? And, 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 and it was, I realized looking back now, it was God's way of working on my heart. It was God's way of saying to me, hey, You've got an invitation, but you've got to make a reservation. That's why my son died for you. That's why I gave, he gave his life for you, so that you could have a seat at the table. And I can still tell you, I still remember two things. That, you know, certain things you just never forget. I was nine years old. I can remember being baptized like it was yesterday. And you know why? Really, can I be honest? 
That's the coldest water I think I've ever been in in my life because we didn't have a heater. We didn't have a heated pool back then. Oh, so ice cold, but I do remember it. I remember my dad standing at the top of the, I can see him right now. I can remember my dad standing at the top of the stairs holding a towel waiting for me to come in. I can still remember him hugging me when I got out. And then I can still remember, just like it was yesterday, the first time I got to take the Lord's Supper. And it wasn't just being able to take the supper. It was because Jesus had died for me and I'd given my life to him. Now, before we uh, give you an opportunity, and we'll give you an opportunity to respond to that in a moment, but I want us to take this opportunity now to indeed take the supper together. And let me just say a word before we do this. If you read this passage, Paul goes on and talk about, talks about taking the supper in an unworthy manner. And I'm always trying to be real careful in explaining this. This is very, 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 very important. If you're not a believer, this is really important for you to hear. I'm not saying to those of you who are not believers that you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper because you're not worthy to take the Lord's Supper. Hear me now. None of us are worthy to take the Lord's Supper. It has nothing to do with our worth. It has everything to do with His worth. The way you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, there's two ways you can take it in an unworthy manner. Number one, if you take it even though you're not a believer, and I would just warn you, I'm not, I'm not being... I try to be, uh, you know, melodramatic when I say this. But, but if you go ahead and read that scripture, you, you better be very careful before you do this in a trivial way. Because this is the Lord's Supper, and he takes it seriously. So that's why we ask you, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that you just, if you don't mind, just refrain from, from taking the supper. But if you are a follower of Jesus... The way you can take the supper in an unworthy fashion is if you take it knowing there's something between you and God and you've not made it right. It may be a, a sin that you're holding on to. It may be a grudge that you're holding on to. Uh, it, it may be um, uh, a, a relationship that you've not fixed that needs to be fixed. I, I don't know what it is. But this, the, the reason why this is so important that, that you take the supper and the reason why it's so important that we do the supper is because, again, this is God's way of forcing us to get right with Him. One of the things I have to ask myself when I, I was in my office a while ago, and I literally, I got on my knees. And, and, and one of the things I, I do every time before I do this is I say, Lord, is there anything in my life that, that you're not, I mean, I, I actually do kind of a, a, a scan. All right, is there anybody out there that I've got bitter feelings toward? Is there anyone out there that I'm wishing ill toward? Is there anybody out there that, that, that I'm not right with? And there's not. And I say, okay, Lord, is there any pet sin in my life I've kind of been keeping back in the corner hoping you won't notice that there's something I'm not willing to give up? And I really kind of go through that, you know, in my own heart because, Lord, I want to make sure my hands are clean. I want to make sure my heart is clean. I want to make sure I'm right inwardly. I want to make sure I'm right outwardly. I want to make sure I'm right upwardly. So before we take part in the supper, I'd like for all of you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to do business with God. I want you, I really do. Now, listen, I want you to do business with God. I want you to, right now, in your own way and in your heart, talk to the Lord and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in me 
that needs to be cleaned up? Is there anything in me that I need to get rid of? Or is there something not in me I need to get? Lord, is there any area of my life? And Lord, right now, I want you just like a great doctor knows how to do it. I want you to put your finger on the problem. And I'll make it right. If I can't make it right here, I will make it right today. So right now, you're just talking to the Lord. You're asking the Lord to search your heart. Heavenly Father, I know for all the years I have followed you, I am by far and away at my happiest when I am at my holiest. I know by far and away the greatest joy I have in my life is when I know I am walking in lockstep with you. When I know that, no, I'm not perfect, but I'm blameless. When I know that whether it's in my marital life, my physical life, my financial life, my spiritual life, that I'm literally hitting on all eight cylinders with you. That's when I'm at my happiest. That's when I am most blessed. That's when I am most joyful. And so, Heavenly Father, my prayer would be today that every ounce of bitterness, unresolved anger, sinful lust, selfish attitudes would be literally drained out of every heart in this room. And I pray that what we're about to do would be so honoring to you, such a blessing to you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that what we would do right now, we would do with clean hands and clean hearts. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. So if you will, if you'll just take out the bread, it's the little wafer there right on the top of your cup. Back in the day, they broke bread and passed it around. We don't do that anymore, but they broke bread and passed it around. Jesus, when he broke that bread, symbolizing his broken body, when Jesus broke that bread, he said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, May our focus be like a laser beam on you. On your body that was given for us. On the death that you died for us. On the punishment that you took in our place. We do what we have just done. Remembering you. Rejoicing in what it accomplished. And we thank you doing it and then the scripture says that likewise in the same way he took the cup 
And for you, if there's any kids in here, or again, some of you may not understand, there's a reason why we do what we do. There's a reason why the juice is the juice and why it's in the cup. That's why we don't put water or lemonade or anything else. I'm not trying to be funny when I say that. What, what, what's so important about that is the color. It is the color of blood because that's exactly what the cup represents. Um, if you don't know much about Christianity, let me, I can kind of summarize it in a couple of ways. Number one, we're a people of the book. This book is our authority. This is what we go by. This is how we live our lives. And then number two, we're a people of the blood. We believe that this same book says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The only price that will pay for your sins is the blood of Jesus. Later on, one of those disciples, uh, John, he wrote in a little book he called First John that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so likewise, 2,000 years ago, Jesus took that cup and he blessed it. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And as often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, I for one am thankful for the shed blood that paid for my sins. I'm sorry that it was my sins that shed your blood, but I'm thankful that it was your blood that was shed for my sins. And with heads bowed and with eyes closed, remember I told you that one of the purposes of what we're doing today is a chance to reserve your place at the table, remember? I want to talk to those of you today who could not and did not take part in this supper. First of all, I want to thank you for not doing so. I want to thank you for having the respect, not just primarily for the church, but for the Lord in, in, in not doing what you should not have done. However, this is my real heart's desire. I don't want you to ever experience that again. I don't want you to ever, ever walk into any church again that's observing the Lord's Supper, that's taking part in communion, and you're not being able to do what so many other people have done today. You have been given an invitation sealed by the blood of Jesus. All you've got to do is open that invitation and make your reservation, and you will immediately have a table and a seat at the table with your name on the seat. And if your heart's desire would be what mine was as a boy years ago, and you would say, how do I do that? How do I make my reservation? How can I know that for the rest of my life and even into eternity, I have a place at the table of God? You just simply invite Jesus Christ into your life to become your Lord to become your Savior. You simply confess your sins. You ask Him to forgive you of your sins. You trust Him as your Savior. You receive Him as your Lord. You repent and turn away from your old way of living, and you turn to Him for His new life. That's all you have to do. And if you say, well, <coughs> what is there? How do I do that? You, you can just say what I just said. Or you can just pray this prayer with me right now. You can just say this in your heart to him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. 
And now I understand you had to give your body and you had to shed your blood so that I could have a place at your table. So today, I am accepting your invitation to follow you. I am making a reservation at the table. I'm confessing my sins, asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you right now to become my Lord and my Savior. I surrender my life completely to you. I repent and turn away from my old way of living. And I thank you for saving me right now. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me right then, right there, and you meant it, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take that uh, part of your worship guide. It's called a connection point card. You can't miss it. It's a tear off. If you had not already done so, I want you to tear that card off. I want you to sign your name. I want you to give us some contact information. And down at the bottom, there's a box there that says, Today, I surrendered my life to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box right now. Now, if you checked off that box and you really meant it, you want to go ahead and check off the second box which says, Today, I decided to be biblically baptized. You say, well, why would I do that? Because the very first thing Jesus is going to command you to do once you become his follower is to be baptized. That's always the first thing. You know why? Because what you've just done in private, Jesus wants you to do in public. And the way you do that is by being biblically baptized. I'm going to ask you to check off that box. There may be someone here today and you may say, you know, I've been saved. I am a believer. I have trusted in Jesus Christ. But you've never been biblically baptized since that time. I'm going to ask you to check off that box. It may be there's someone here today and you'd like to be a partner with us today. You'd like to be a part of our church. You've been coming here for a while and you say, you know what? This is where God wants me to be. This is where I want to plant my life. I'm going to ask you to check off that third box. I want to be able to become a Crosspoint partner. Here's what I want you to do with that card in just a moment when we're finished. When you go out into the lobby, you'll see a table there. It's called Connection Point. Can't miss it. Go to that table. Turn in your card. They'll see what decision you have made. They will give you the information you need to get. They'll say a short prayer with you. We'll contact you later for follow-up, and you'll be on your way out the door. It's just that simple, and it's just that easy. If you're a first-time guest, we have a gift we'd like to give you just for being a part of our church today. So, Heavenly Father, my prayer in the name of Jesus is that nobody would walk out of this place and leave without having made their reservation and accepted your invitation to be a part of this family. I'm so thankful that I did, thankful that others will. Lord Jesus, I pray you have been honored. I pray you've been exalted, and I pray you have been glorified by what we have done here today. Bless our people as we enter into this Christmas season. Lord, I pray that our people's antenna would be so high. I pray we'd be so ready and willing and able and open to invite people to church, to share the wonderful story of Christmas that people might come to know this baby that was born 2,000 years ago. So thank you again for what we have seen and heard and experienced, and we bless you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we give a final word, next Sunday, don't want to miss, next Sunday, David Platt.
who is the president of the International Mission Board, is going to be here in our services preaching for us. If you know anything about David Platt, enough said. One of the greatest, finest preachers anywhere in the world. And I don't say that lightly. You will not want to miss. Great opportunity to invite your friends and neighbors and people that you've been waiting for a while. Great opportunity to invite them to be a part of our service. And we will see you next week. Thanks, Pastor. These kinds of services are always special, especially uh, as we remember and are thankful for how God uh, has provided a way for us to salvation as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If you're not sure, like he just said, you know, the International Mission Board, what is that exactly? So as Southern Baptists, we have two mission agencies that we partner with. One is for everything that happens in the United States. That's the North American Mission Board. They're the agency that we partnered with when uh, we were working through disaster relief because of the hurricanes. The other agency is called the International Mission Board, and they are the agency that sponsors and leads and guides and vets all of the missionaries.